listening to Music Matters with Jason Tram. On this program, we feature interviews with distinguished members of the musical and performing arts community across multiple genres, from classical to contemporary, sacred to secular. We explore the most important issues affecting the arts today. Music Matters brings diverse innovators, ideas, and audiences together to create a broader musical community to inspire new solutions to unprecedented challenges. We are delighted to have a, an acclaimed conductor joining us today from Philadelphia. This is uh, Donald Dumpson and a respected colleague, and welcome, Donald. Donald. How are you? So good to see you, Maestro. It's wonderful to see you too, Maestro. It's like having two doctors in there. <laughs> So your your career has taken you in so many different paths. Um, I'm going to give a few a few of these incredible accomplishments, and um, you can chime in and give us more as we go. But um, you founded the Philadelphia Heritage Chorale. You also, in your past, founded the Westminster Jubilee Singers. Um, ran that that worked with that choir for years. You are currently at the Arch Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and are involved with so many. Like, uh, luminary artists and collaborations with uh, artists such as Nizay Seguin, Yannick Nizay Seguin, and many, many others. Um, so how, tell us about your career and how did you start conducting and uh, how did music begin in your life? Well, you know, that's a really powerful question and it really started with education, music education and a kindergarten teacher. Uh, she would uh, have her students go and sit on the organ, the organ with eight pedals, and so all the students had a chance to have access, sit on the organ, play, hear sound, create sounds. And I'm not sure why, the grace of God, but I was able to play from early on. And she contacted my, contacted my parents, my mother and father, and said there's something special about Donald and musically, and we would like to have uh, this looked at. And I'm really grateful that my mother and father listened and were very responsive. Uh, Settlement Music School was a part of this as well in Philadelphia. Uh, and then uh, teachers who cared, again, I can't stress enough education. Uh, the late Robert M. Johnson is a man at the junior high school level who connected me with Overbrook High School, which was a magnet school in the city. Uh, Performing Arts High School was in existence then, but I didn't even know about it. That goes to show you again what you're exposed to, what teachers tell you, what you feel is possible, what parents know, really has an impact. But I went to Overbrook Music Magnet High School, and I met this gentleman named George Allen. I was going to say Dr. George Allen. He wasn't doctor then, but Dr. George Allen. The man changed my life. I sat down and played um, Jesu Joy, and he simply said, you understand sound trust your instincts and to have that message come into come across my ears and my spirit my mind actually musically was life-changing so that is really the start and then when we talk about uh you know going to college preparing for college um there was carol mitchell from the high school who taught me uh piano lessons and I, my first teacher at the, at the college level Temple University with Harvey Wadeen and, uh, you know, Natalie Hinderis. And so just, just extraordinary access to wonderful, wonderful teachers. Um, and then, of course, going on to grad school. But in the midst of all of this, uh, and I'll say Jason, 
uh, in the midst of all this, there was always though this question of artistically, almost like an identity crisis. You know, I was born and reared and around this extraordinary gospel music, music born of the African diaspora. And yet everything I was learning in college was the opposite. You know, and so how do I, how do the, the parts of me that love this gospel music and jazz, how does it live and coexist with this wonderful disco- discoveries about Mozart? about Brahms, one of my favorite composers, Scriabin. How in the world do I, on Sunday, do one thing and all week long live another and, and, and feel congruent, musically, musically congruent? So that's a very quick glimpse, uh, and I'm sure from other questions we can go further. Very powerful. Uh, but, but education... Oh my God! Education is unbelievable. Important. And you, you, you're born and uh, raised and educated in Philadelphia. Born and reared in Philadelphia, and the public school system, with teachers who cared. Uh, I taught public school. I uh, started uh, teaching elementary school, uh, and at Crossan Elementary School in Northeast Philadelphia, and Kenderton Elementary School at 15th in Ontario in North Philadelphia. Totally different spectrums. Amazing to see what schools have based on where they're located, what neighborhood they're in, what parents are demanding. Uh, but I had the privilege after uh, teaching some years at uh, Kenderton to become the administrative assistant. While I was at Temple University, I took administration courses and uh, got my certification in, in, uh, in, in edu- educational administration. And I always thought I was going to be a you know, department chair or, or the head of the music department in the school district or something, you know, but that whole educational experience, once again, at Temple University, in administration even, has expanded my understanding of what it is to be connected to community uh, in people's lives, how to use education to change and expand people's thoughts about what's possible for themselves. It's amazing what um, you know that education mixed with that drive to uh, to achieve can do. And um, we stand, um, th- thankfully, those people in our lives who come and uh, they inspire us. And we're so blessed to have them in our lives as artists. And you know, it's necessary. And um, I'm so glad that you were able to do that in your community, and uh, that you've uh, that now you're giving back to your community as a fully uh, fully accomplished artist, and you're you're that person now who's going to encourage the next generation. Well, again, going back to that identity crisis that I expressed earlier, doing Mozart and Brahms and Chopin, but loving gospel music and jazz, and not having them uh, connect. Um, it is really important that my life be about bridge building. It is really important that my life through music shows the way for others. And this is not only a passion, in some ways, as a part of my life, as a ministry. You know, so there's the educated, but there's really the part called making a difference in people's lives, changing people's thoughts about themselves through the power of music. Through the power of the arts, really, you know, because we have incorporated dance and uh, many elements uh, in in our presentations as well. 
So you, you, your career has taken so many different paths. Um, I have a similar one. I started teaching middle school. My first job was a middle school music teacher, and then I did high school, and then uh, then I went back and got my doctorate, and it took me. It's amazing that the doorway, that, that education opens up, and you. I, I tell my students now, the university students, to uh, to get as broad a skill set as possible because you have no idea where your education is going to take you, but you have to be ready to open that door and jump through. Well, yeah, opening the doors and jumping through, you know, but also being empowered with information that says who I am is relevant, who I am matters. So therefore, the, in the case of, let's say, African-American, Latino, or uh, people of color, uh, music born of their cultures and, and that are engaged in America, it's just really, really important to see lineage, to see stories, accurate stories about lineage. Um, I was in a meeting yesterday, and a part of the meeting was go to this particular website and identify what land you are living on. A question I never thought of, but as I think about diversity and the work that I'm doing in these areas, a really important question to know that I am here in Philadelphia, downtown Philly, but living on a land that's identified as a particular from for Native Americans uh, their land. And it was really, you know, eye-opening because I did not think about it. That story was never in the music history books that, or in the history books that we are in school. It was never there. I think we have and to rethink that this period in time. We have to rethink a lot of what these things mean. I think it's that the cultural conversation is so important these days that uh, that these conversations happen and that that we uh, we we consider um, it's so important. These stories of, of all of our cultures are what makes America so special, and especially in music. How could we possibly talk about American music without talking about gospel music, jazz, the spiritual, some of these great forms, which every i love every time i go on tour in europe what do they want that you know we we do our classical music and that's wonderful but everybody loves the spirituals and to hear the gospel because it just speaks to everyone i think it's it's truly american art american art it's truly american art and the the thing about education is when we can get a glimpse into the deeper dimensions of the story uh, you know, so when we have gospel music, so often we think about, you know, but we, we want to have the celebration without the journey through woe. But the celebration is a result of experiencing the woe, you know. And so it's one of those things where just to even give students that paradigm to look at, that paradox perhaps to look at, that, yeah, there's this, there's this joy and all this fervor that you might experience in, in some black worship services. Not the stereotypical, all by no means are all black church services hand clapping, you know, with gospel music and so forth and so on. They're, they're just as diverse as any other uh, uh, denomination. You know, so I would say that in terms of gospel music, in terms of the spirituals, what is the full story? The text, the music, and what happens is so often the literature is not accepted until the majority engages it. Hip-hop, rap music, never accepted. Now it's in operatic pieces. Now it's in orchestral pieces. But there was a time when it was this music that was done mostly in the black community, and it was this thing that no one wanted to touch. Why do we have to wait in art 
for it to be approved by majority. This, these are the rich, rich, rich discussions in music education, in music history, in sociology, and in all these classes. Where these are things to really, really explore. What is the why behind some of this? Well, there's no one better than you to tell the story and to bring this to uh, a much a, a huge audience uh, because these co- these conversations need to happen now more than ever with the cultural climate of today and the challenges we face as a nation. Well, it also takes people who are the gatekeepers. You know, um, I mean, you're you're having this conversation today is a gatekeeper who's willing to step into some complicated discussions. And that is so very important, you know, that you, you you didn't say, Donald, let's have a discussion and talk about and limit it to, you know, it's like, let's have a discussion about the state of music and Music Matters 2020. And and I'm so grateful that, that you are willing to have a platform that you're creating for these discussions to be had. I love the idea of a, of a conversation where it's not scripted, where we don't uh, we don't say you can only ask these questions. I think it's so important that we uh, that we were able to, to, to share our voices. I learned so much from my colleagues. Every time I've worked on the opera stage or I've worked with anyone, I, I always, I love to hear the stories. That's why I do music is because I love the people I work with and the stories. And, uh, and I, I couldn't wait to have you on the show because I, I know that you're such a deep thinker and that you're that you are such an impact. You have such an impact on your communities, communities that you serve. Well, you know, and and Jason, my hope is as we continue to look at building bridges, that it goes beyond you know your community or my community, and we really have an exchange of energy, an exchange of ideas that creates a new, you know. Um, and by no means do I mean to lose the essence of anything, but the new is an, is, is an, example, an example of the new would be the wonderful piece the Philly Orchestra did by Hannibal Lokumbe, One Land, One River, One People. Or Can You Hear God Crying, which we just heard an excerpt of that fuses, you know, Eurocentric ideas and without question celebrating the Afrocentric and merging not losing, I love what Tim Wise says when he speaks about, you know, a tap, a patchwork quilt or a melting pot. Which one do we want to be? And, and it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not necessarily a melting pot. I want to keep my identity, but be able to be seen and fully realized within the tapestry. And what, what contribution does this, does this combination make? What is the new experience? Not because I'm lost and I'm no longer seen, not, that would not be necessarily the, the answer. And so Tim Wise speaks about that often in a lot of his writing. So how did you first get involved with that composer? Now, you've worked with that composer's music before. I've seen in your bio. Um, I'm not familiar with him uh, except for hearing those clips. So tell me about that composer and how did you get involved in those projects? Well, I was the founding chorus master for the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra Community Chorus. And... Hannibal Lukumbe was, was one of the invited composers, and he did his piece, African Portraits, which is a piece that Morgan State recorded with the Chicago Symphony. And, uh, and from there, he did a piece called God, Mississippi, and a Man Named Medgar, about Medgar Evers. And that relationship from the chorus led to a relationship with Hannibal and I've been privileged 
to do many, many works with him uh, since then. Can You Hear God Crying is, is one of them, the one we just heard, One Land, One River, One People, but also a piece about the shooting in, um, in South Carolina, uh, about nine souls are traveling. And that, that's one as well, Resurrection it's called. Hannibal uh, is an inspiration. This, this piece here, I know you can see a little bit of it, the, the fabric. He presented that to me after a performance of One Land, One River, One, River, One People. And I've had it up on the wall with my other artifacts and things. And he just is, for me, a reminder of having the heart to live in your essence to not try to change for the world. And it's so difficult sometimes to stand that space and that ground. Uh, you really feel the, the desire to, to become what everybody else wants you to be. And that's, you know, especially in, in, in academia where you're, everything is being molded and indoctrinated and formed. You know? So some of those things we wanna make sure we have, the competency, the core competencies, but not to the extent of losing yeah, when we lose, when we have to give some of ourselves away, we lose that. Uh, that's a, it's a, such a powerful statement because we don't want to lose that. That what makes us special. That's what we have to add to the world, and that's um, we're so much stronger when we hear the voices of people and they're not uh, silenced like that. That's so important. Yeah, and, and I would say, as we think about education. Not to be confused, there's this wonderful gospel song called I Give Myself Away. I give myself away so you can use me. Speaking in this case about the higher power, about God, about our emptying. So I'm not, I'm not talking about our not being available to be pliable, to be, to, 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 to be shaped. But in what image? to pour out and empty out towards what ends to become what for whom. And there's no, there's no like, I don't have a right or wrong answer on it, but it's more just the considerations when I choose to leave a part of myself somewhere in the name of art or in the name of preparing for, you know, that that's really more the call being available and being uh, pliable, being, being moldable, you know, just being flexible, growing, and so forth. That really uh, defines your career. Looking at your biography, it's defined your career. You've done so much innovation, like work, like uh, like founding different organizations. What was it like founding the Jubilee Singers, for example, and the the Heritage Chorale, and and what led you to to, to start those organizations? Well, the Jubilee Singers was uh, an initiative that was student-born uh, by students at Westminster who wanted music and things that connected with more of their uh, experiences from uh, before they went to Westminster. Um, and when I received the first invitation um, from a wonderful professor there, um, Professor Steve Pilkington and Evelyn Thomas, the thing is, they wanted a gospel choir. And I didn't, a gospel choir is not what I felt I had two degrees, and that would be what I would be called into the academy to do. If, if, if it included teaching a music, music course or African-American aesthetics in music or something that would deepen 
never to say that gospel is less than, but to deepen the academic experience and the relationship to the music. Otherwise, it's just more, we just sang a song and we went home. And so they were willing to, uh, and then I shared with them that it would be great if it was in the name of, or built on the legacy of the Fist Jubilee Singers. And that's how we came up with the Westminster Jubilee Singers. Uh, from, 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 from that molding and shaping, them willing to be flexible and to work with and to, to expand what was possible. So that is the start of the, uh, the Westminster Choir. Now, in terms of the Heritage Chorale, that is clearly a response to too many doors being closed in the community. That is clearly a response of being privileged to sit on committees and boards and hearing constantly, we can't find talent that looks a darker hue. We can't find a choir that's prepared. And so I really wanted to be a part of the solution and the solution really meant rolling up my sleeves, getting with uh, singers in the community. And we're not talking about everybody being a college degree or opera singer. We're talking about talented singers who live in the tri-state area, who always had a gift for singing, always had, you know, um, talent is an important element here. But we would work with them for their reading skills, for their deportment skills, for their stage presence skills, for understanding how to hold the music, understanding when to put it down, understanding uh, the appropriate attire, understanding these uh, techniques and performance practices of, of, of whatever the literature might be, if it's, if it's going to be an orchestral piece. You know, what do you do when Maestro is conducting the orchestra? How do you deal with all these multiple things going on? Preparing the choir. And, and I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that the Philly Orchestra heard and was willing to engage and have the choir be involved, the Heritage Chorale. I'm so glad the um, Philadelphia um, Chamber Orchestra was willing to have the choir be involved. Uh, you know, and, and, and the list begins, you know, to grow from there. You know, I'm, I am honored to work with the Philadelphia Heritage Chorale. It is just, it is just the truth. I mean, you know, unlike professional choirs, you know, I'm not, there's no compensation. You know, this, this, this is pouring in because you're tired of the storyline, reading what it reads. And how can you be an active part of a new storyline? That force for change day, is so important know, in your community. And um, if some things are, are more important than compensation. Some things are so important that you just you feel that need. And, and it, that's such a, an important thing to do for your community. And uh, it's incredible to hear that, that you were so, that, that the Philadelphia Orchestra, you've worked with them and you've worked with the, the Chamber. That's just great that, uh, they've, that you've gotten that opportunity to, to bring that choir to the highest level of performance. It's, it's, I'm glad that they're willing to go on the journey because you can't do it by yourself. You know, I mean, in the case of the Heritage Corral, there's a board now. They're, you know, they're incorporated. I mean, so there's a committee of people who are also pouring in, taking seriously, trying to have this make a difference in people's lives. Um, and, and to me, the best is yet to come. I mean, COVID-19 has presented some very unique challenges. You know, uh, how do you still gather? And I'm not talking about in terms of space, because we're gathering via Zoom, but how do you, what, when you gather, what do you do? 
And so we have turned to education. We have turned to empowerment through music. Uh, we, we start up again uh, the second week in September, and we will. Uh, we have a graduate student from uh, Temple University. We have uh, two graduates from Temple um, who will uh, work with the choir, music, uh, music theory, solfeggio, voice training, because we want the choir to be able to be on the stage. My goal is. I can't wait until we do the model second. Maestro, here's an opportunity. <laughs> what a piece. I, 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 oh my God. And I know that I don't mean as my choir being the only choir, but when we talk about why the rainbow does not exist on that stage for the recre for, for the resurrection symphony, oh. there is no reason in the world that the rainbow is not on that stage. Yeah. And the Heritage Chorale becomes one of those elements in, in, in my vision. I think classical music, by its very nature, when the more it includes and the more people that are involved in it, I think the better it gets. And that's one thing I, I, I love to see is that, that's how you were starting to see a, a people reaching out in ways that have never been done before. And I think that is so crucial that communities reach out to people in their community to be part of this. And that um, and that's a real special part of your your your, uh, your drive and your ministry. What year did you found the, uh, the Heritage Corral? You know, that's a great question. I want to say 2004, uh, because we started as a celebration choir. And we went on for years as a celebration choir. And that's why when it comes to the, the year, there's a bit of a dance with that. Uh, because we, we emerged into the Heritage Chorale. Um, we used to do this event called the Great Gospel Gathering. And we did, uh, you know, Welcome America. There were some wonderful events we would do. So it was always the gospel focus. And, and, and again, thank you, grateful. But there's more that can be shared from these voices. And, that, and, and wanting to be a part of the more and motivating the singers to believe that they, are, they have the potential for the more. Don't sign on to the story that this is not what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. Which is why the choir is diverse. It's not it's not a choir made of all African Americans. You know, the choir is diverse, and, and and it is it's a gift. It's a gift. That's how I honestly feel about it, Jason. So, what would, what would you say, in, in given all the strife going on in the world today, and especially in the United States, what's music role in healing some of those these issues? How can music be a force for the, the positive? Well, I think we need to always pay particular attention to text because we say music can be a positive force, but we know that words, depending on which words are being carried by the music, we can build up or we can tear down. You know, we can, we can talk about the, how music carried us through the slave trade, right? So the music itself was used as, a, as, a, as something to help endure, but by no means would that be a part of the positive part of the journey. And, and I think that we, we, we often repeat history. One, we either, in response to something, our society then says, we will 
this is the response to, to this. I, what I'll say from that is when we have a spiritual being performed, people, again, without being deeply in the story, will think about the spiritual and they'll laugh and, and you know, uh, not understanding the story behind the spiritual, they'll, they, the words and the music, instead of it being healing and being a part of connecting, people are offended, they're hurt, they're insulted, because we, without knowing the story and without being clear on what the text means, one can, but it's the same thing on, 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 on classical music though, right? We have to know what the text means. And so the same thing occurs here. Yeah, uh, the, we, we can all say that spirituals but have been core uh, repertoire for American choirs for, for generations now, and it's some great music. But it's telling the story that is so critical. Uh, I'm, I'm actually launching my university choir at Seton Hall this year. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm doing a whole semester study on the spiritual. And I'm going to be bringing in voices, specialists in the field, and I would love to talk to you about that, but bringing in specialists to talk about. So I want my students to contextualize where this music comes from, why it is the way it is. It's very easy to like the spirituals because just, just surface level spirituals because just wonderful music. But I think once they realize how deep it is and how much, um, what goes into these works and it changes everything, just like Mozart Requiem, same with the Mozart Requiem, same with any great work of art, it's understanding the roots, knowing the roots, knowing the traditions. I think it's critical. Also knowing the lens or knowing the stance from which one sings the spiritual. So when I often work with, a, you know, lecture with choirs or classes, we talk about the spiritual from the soil. So to sing motherless child on your knees crawling is a very, very different outcome than standing, thinking about it from a Eurocentric Marin Anderson you know, Nicky Memorial, you know, there's a way that we tend to pull it up like this and say, we're now singing the spiritual and we've done this great thing. And I understand there's a constant spiritual and I understand, but I would suggest that getting dirty and in the soil would inform even your concert spiritual. You know, you would sing it differently your lens would shift. What is it to sing, I've been buked and I've been scorned, and you're literally laying on your back, and someone is, oh, this is not necessarily a great analogy, so let, let, let me not, you understand my oh, point. it's powerful. Yeah. It changes but, everything. It changes, and, and, that and, lens changes everything. That, that makes it not just a piece that sounds pretty, but it makes a piece that is born out of just incredible suffering and pain and, and um, it just deepens the well. Yeah, and I, I definitely need to just emotionally not go too far with that. But what I would say is it reminded me that even in today's time, how, how much has really changed. I can't believe that I have not put that connection together for myself about, wow, I, I, I am very emotionally, I'm a little stunned right this second, because I did not connect that about, uh, wow, okay. I had a, a particular, of a, this is one of my, my, I have a particular alumni of yours who worked with you, and I believe you were probably a high school teacher and you worked with uh, Kenny Overton. Is that correct? 
Kenny, oh Kenny, that was Overbrook. That was performing arts high school. I taught there for two years, and he was one of the students, and he has made me so proud. He'll be with you, I think, coming up soon. Absolutely, on, on the list. It's so funny how the artistic world circles around. I've worked with so many great artists in my travels, and and Kenny has a special. I used to sing with him at the Cathedral Basilica in Newark, and that's where we met. Wow. And he was my first soloist in the. He was my bass soloist in the first piece I ever conducted with an orchestra. I founded my own group. Just this young high school teacher. I founded my own professional group, and Kenny came and sang for me for wow. just about nothing. And and uh, I've just been delighted to see his career grow. And he's a, a fine artist and a wonderful person. And uh, it's just a small world. But my goal is to have uh, have a great. A great spiritual singer come in and sing a spiritual to understand that because the choral settings of these could be very different, but um, and they're concert settings, but to, to feel the actual music and to watch a great singer sing them is a, is going to be an inspiration for me. Yeah, what I would say to the, for the concert spirituals with large groups, well, uh, COVID nineteen is changing this, but what to go into the field or go into the backyard and to sing under the stars, and this is significant, to dare to get wet in the rain while singing Didn't It Rain Children. Mm. Because we wouldn't dare have a drop of rain fall on us while we try to sing this song and know what we're singing it about. But to dare to intend, I remember with Westminster, we were doing, I think it, it was, oh, it was William Grant Still and they lynched him on a tree. And we had, it has two choirs in it, a black choir and a white choir. So for the black students, they were in black choir. If they chose to saw themselves that way, it's a very important point as well. For those who are of color, they had a choice where they wanted to be. But we had them not talk to each other. They were separated. But we had a it, behind the playhouse was a lot of was an open field area. So we went out there and we did a portion of, because the song, the piece talks about a car coming up, look at them in the shadows, uh, the dogs are coming. Uh, it was one of those types of, uh, of, of pieces. And so to create that tension for the entire semester until the performance, they were not allowed in the group, in the class to socialize. We, we had separate sides of the room. And when we did that performance, uh, Kimberly King was a mezzo and Samar Newsom was a narrator. Uh, they still talk about that experience. But to take this stuff and to make it experiential, to really to embody it, you know, to go out into the field and envision the, 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 the car with the car lights and you're down in the, in the soil and you're hiding and somebody's coming with dogs and flashlights and and I think it's life changing. It makes it real. It may it makes it real and it makes it it makes it relevant to people who may not understand or may not have that depth of understanding. I agree. I, I, I agree. And what what I would also say is when we talk about concert spirituals, I'm thinking back now to um, the Jubilee Singers. They had a, they sang with Sweet Honey in the Rock. On that concert, they did also did a concert that was in a similar period with uh, the, the the Fisk Jubilee Singers. So these students were getting a really wonderful dose of the literature. 
Um, and to top it off would be them singing with Skitch Henderson, the late Skitch Henderson, with the New York Pops, right? And they're doing Porgy and Beth. Barbara Hendricks is a soprano. All of this is shifting the lens of what is possible. Now, this choir, they, they, they sing in a symphonic choir. They're normally used to, you know, the Verdi Requiems and the, the Bach and, and, and so forth. So this is really, really expanding what is possible. And this is all done by the choir that started as the gospel choir. And that's what I mean about our thinking beyond being bigger in our thoughts of what is possible. So tell me what projects you're thinking about right now. What, 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 what are some of your COVID projects? I know that uh, all of us artists, we've been, uh, everything has changed. I was supposed to do a tremendous amount of traveling and performing. All that was grounded, uh, two European debuts, all this stuff grounded. Uh, so I, I went through a, a week of depression where I did yard work and nothing else and kind of checked out for a bit. Came back in and I said, you know what? I need to have these conversations. I need to, I need to connect with my artistic community somehow. And um, this has been kind of my response. What have, what have you been working on in your uh, COVID time? Well, you know, I thank you for asking that yeah, question. One thing has really been the realigning of me, my relationship with myself, you know, uh, the, the, and, and there's all of the ancillary work to be done, but I feel that I'm more prepared to give to the choir in a time of COVID. So the last three months, meditation with University of Pennsylvania, meditation class, yoga. Um, you know, I actually am implementing a, we're implementing a part of, of our rehearsal time that's going to be with meditation. Uh, uh, there'll be perhaps a dance of what it is to do, be meditation versus prayer, what that looks like and how to hold both. So we have to figure that out. But, but that's a really, really important part to be still mm. and to discern what the next moves need to be. So that's one thing on the personal level, in terms of the choir, as I expressed earlier, it really is about going back to education and, and in that way, teaching and making certain that the, that the choir members have, that they're empowered. And my hope is that this, this time of doing internal work will allow us to be more prepared for the external things to come. And there's wonderful things to come. I'm not at li liberty to talk about uh, some of them simply because they're in developmental stage, but there's some really, really exciting things that are um, on, on the horizon. But if I, if I allowed myself to be shut down and closed off as a result of this experience with COVID-19, experience with COVID-19, be available to the choir to give, you are giving to people all over the world just through this vision that you have with, with um, music matters and music matters make me think so makes me think of david elliott you know from uh, or who has this music matters with uh, music education so it just really it, it all rings home to me well, it's so important. We, we we are artists, and it's our job to give. And I, I'm 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 a um, I'm associated with several different communities, like you are. I have, um, I have a couple of choral societies. I have Ocean Grove. I have other other organizations I work with. And people just we need music more than ever, and we need to have that 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 sense of wholeness inside. And without music, most of us aren't whole. And uh, I've I've tried to do I'm trying to do whatever I can to get through to my audiences and to my my people and I miss them so much I miss I, I just had my first uh, Zoom call with my my Seton Hall choir, 
And just as we 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 talked, none of them had made music since March. I mean, we did a virtual project uh-huh. at the end of the semester, but it was devastating. And so just just to see their faces and to say, we have a way forward. We're gonna do. We're gonna be involved in something. I've got this. Uh, I've got ideas. I can't wait. Just to see their excitement. And most of them are not music majors. They're just. Um, they're, they can be a million different majors. That we have a lot of very diverse community. But it's great to see them. They're excited to just get involved and just to be a part and feel that music in their lives. And I can't wait to, to get back to my communities. Well, one of the things uh, for, for, for all of us would be to think outside of the box, to understand that trying to recreate the norm, the normal, as we understand it, is not the healthiest thing to aim to do. And for me, it's surrounding myself with young talent. So, you know, uh, because it's the technology, the thinking about it, the understanding how to navigate it, you know, so I have the blessing of having young talent around me. And, and so one of the apprenticeship, one of the goals is how, who, who do I pass this on to? You know, so, you know, there's the young people who I'm working with now trying to groom, of course, they're at the age where they're trying to do careers. So it's a, interesting dance but this time of COVID has created a vacuum so they're available to pour in and to you know to to learn and hopefully take over that, that's why we're incorporated and that's why it's not named the Donald Dumpson Singers because when I'm gone I wanted to continue <laughs> you know it's not about Isn't me. Isn't it amazing the um, being around college students and um, having four children myself who are now from 15 to 21 um, I, I'm just wow. amazed by um, by the the technical uh, connections these 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 children have, and and their um, their energy always keeps me going. It keeps me. Um, I'm always learning. I'm, I'm not a technical person by nature. My son does all the tech on this show, for example, and uh, we do it together. If it was up to me, I would none of this would work. The call wouldn't happen. The uh, the microphone wouldn't work. <laughs> But uh, young people really, they really make it happen. And um, it keeps, you know, it fires me up always, gives me more energy to, to watch a young person, you know, rising up. Well, you know, giving back is a really important thing. And I think that we often are so in the trenches with our own work. You as an educator, you're always, you're constantly giving back. I'm no longer in in, in a structured uh, educational context to so have to create ways to give back, you know, and, and uh, I, I believe that that's working with the church, Archbishop Presbyterian Church, uh, I believe it's working with the Heritage Chorale, you know, but finding ways to give back and to give back deeply, you know, um, is, is a really important thing to do. Who, who am I mentoring today? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm also a man of faith, and uh, I think it's part of our mission. We were given mm-hmm. gifts that we have to share. If we don't share our gifts, what would youth is having those gifts? Well, you know, and, and speaking of gifts, I mean, and all in interviews, I'm always wanting to make sure I'm not. I'm doing this next. I'm doing this next. But I've finally decided to say yes to being the regional chair for the American Court Directors Association, the Eastern Division. And that is something that years ago, I was so busy with the work at hand that I was like, so there's two things on my heart right now. One is doing this work and spreading the message for lifelong choirs, uh, which are community choirs and church choirs. 
uh, about possibilities and way beyond diversity, but that's a very important element. You know, uh, and it, the, the other piece for me is without question, how do I make a difference in the life, from whatever I try to do from this point on? And so for me, I want, if I were to have a dream job, it would be going back to, believe it or not, you're going to say performing arts high school, working with the kids, the young people, because I was so busy when I was there in my own career and, you know, doing it in evenings all over the to pour back in and give based on what I know today to those kids and not have music be the priority over academics, but to find that wonderful dance between the two and make it an intention that's on my heart. It may never happen while I'm living, but it's so on my heart to, to do well, that again. This time, being a university person at the moment and thinking about how to serve my communities there, uh, since we're not seeing live performances in the traditional sense this semester, I've had to rethink, and I think a lot of educators, I've been on multiple calls, many, many calls to, to talking about this, that um, since we don't have the product to produce, which we're so used to having the gun, being under the gun of, that we're, we're really going to focus on education, really focus on learning, really focus on digging below that's the surface. True. I think that's going to change things moving forward indefinitely. That's it. And, and you, you do that, I think about Ocean Grove and you know, the, the things you do there, the things you're doing at the college, the things you're doing in community. So that is an example of all the above happening through education. You're an educator. You're an education who also does this extraordinary thing called bring music to the world. And that's, I hope, I hope that's what I'm doing too I'm on the journey. Well, I'm so, I want to thank you so much for joining us on, on Music Matters, uh, Donald. It's been a pleasure to reconnect. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. You're such a, a deep thinker and a powerful presence, and, uh, and uh, to watch you make music is really, really a privilege. Thank you, and I feel the same about you, Maestro Jason Tron. So thank you very much. Uh, we'll, be in touch, we'll be in touch about the semester to come. I've got some ideas, so that's a very exciting for me. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Music Matters 2020. Please remember to, uh, to subscribe to us below and hit that bell for the most up-to-date information on upcoming guests and topics. Um, this, uh, this Saturday at 6 o'clock, we have uh, noted concert organist Gordon Turk on the line, who's been the organist at the Great Auditorium at Ocean Grove for 47 years, and um, also from the Philadelphia area. And I hope you can join us there. Um, I have an announcement about a, a live stream being premiered on this Sunday at 7 o'clock. Ocean Grove is doing its first uh, virtual choir festival. We, we're doing five virtual anthems, um, and we just finished the last one at 3 in the morning last night. It's just me and my son. We put these together. We've had singers from across the... Um, about about 120 singers submitted files for five different anthems, and uh, this is a first for us, and thank you so much. I hope you can join us at 7 o'clock on the live stream. Thank you so much, and remember, keep music alive. Good night.